Amen. So, um, most recently, um, we start out again in verse 12 with the word therefore. Most recently, uh, what uh, the author has been saying is in regard to the discipline that the Lord brings, that he, uh, as his children, he corrects us, he disciplines, he chastises us, as it is recorded here. And, and since we have that discipline, correction, guidance, and the benefits of it, uh, that's what we concentrated on. Uh, the pain is described, but we, you know, the author talked about how the brevity of it, it's not forever. You know, we, we, we get through and we learn and it's for our good. And so really the process of the Lord's discipline is a thing that uh, is not unpleasant necessarily and uh, highly beneficial, you know, very productive in our lives, you know, likened to pruning and, you know, we compared the fruitfulness that comes uh, from pruning and all that the Lord wants to accomplish. So, so in light of these things, the most recent discussion of correction and discipline, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You know, and our, our tendency oftentimes in our need of correction and guidance and discipline and growth is to then fail, falter, just crumble, run away. Uh, and uh, he's saying, you know, you, you've got to discipline yourself to go the opposite direction. You've got to push into these things. You've got to strengthen. You've got to pick up. You, you've, got, you've got to, you know, everything your coach, if you were ever in athletics, ever told you, you know, that you've got you to drive through the problems. You've got to push on. You've got to go a little further in order to see these things take place. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. It applies to you directly. Um, you know, not that I've been watching you and thinking something along those lines. But, but, but you know, the idea of we tend to think of, I've got to help somebody else with this. You know, I will strengthen their feebleness. I will strengthen the, no, no, just do the self-application first, right? I mean, if it has other application, you'll see that in time. Strengthen your own, uh, you know, measure, your own hands, your own feeble knees, where the crumbling is, where the weakness is, where the faltering is. You know, you've got to take heart and you've got to be strong uh, in these situations. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. Doesn't mean you're going to find it, okay? There are some people who are not peaceable and they don't want peace. And you can strive uh, for as long as you want to and they have just set themselves on being upset, angry, aggravated, you know, how, however that you know, expresses itself. But we should seek it. You know, we, should, we should long for it. Uh, as a pastor, I have run into quite a few times where people fall into sin, and I have the unfortunate experience of having to be there and try to correct and guide and be part of that disciplinary process. And so there have been some occasions where animosity towards me, you know, comes to the surface. And it's really not directed at me. <laughs> it's directed at the Lord. And oftentimes, more than anything, it's directed at themselves. We, we, we sometimes don't like to be corrected. And, uh, you know, it's not like I go around hunting for people who are, you know, having certain failures and love to just pounce on them. Circumstances produce it that it becomes necessary. And, you know, in addressing it, you end up with this conflict. Well, <clears throat> as much as people want to act like in those situations, Oh, the pastor was such a jerk. You know, I can't believe that guy behaved this way or that way. What I have found is that when they are in crisis, they do not hesitate to call for help. Okay? Which tells you how much they really believed what they were saying. Oh, they mouth off about, you know, that guy, he's this way, that way. But then 
when the crisis hits, when the family member dies, when they have dire circumstances, I'm the first phone call. You know, meaning they know that they can trust me. They know that I'm reliable. They know that whatever degree of conflict they felt, it was really on their end. Because they, they recognize there's an open door on the other end of this. I can just, without hesitation, contact, call, call upon, rely upon. You know, I, I make the point because, you know, we all sort of have that pastoral role to a degree in certain people's lives. And they're going to say things. And that's okay. <laughs> you got to be careful and make sure you've taken the steps that show you really love them. You know, you're really saying, doing the things, leaving the door open. I, I have. Don't get scared, anybody. I don't have anything in mind. I have kicked a few people out of this church. Literally told them, get your junk, go out the door, don't come back. Okay? You know, <clears throat> huge, radical, bad circumstances, right? Not the normal, everyday Christian struggle. I'm talking about situations that, you know, if I described them to you, go, oh, yeah. That makes sense. You know, <clears throat> I always make sure to let those people know, look, the conflict, and this isn't just to explain myself. I'm explaining this to you so that you might have uh, similar tools. Okay? I always explain to them as the separation occurs. Understand that your conflict isn't with me. Right? I'm a sinner. I got my own problems. <laughs> I'm not trying to act like I'm better than you, but what you got going on in your life, you need to leave. And so in going out, I tell them, look, the problem is you're not right with the Lord. And that's why you have to go. If you ever get right with the Lord, you don't have to call me up. I'm not, it's, this isn't about getting right with Will. You know, I'm not the Pope or something weird. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm your brother. You know, and you're my brother or my sister. And, and I'm just saying your relationship with our father is not right. And God has shown me in the scripture, and he talks about it here, that if it's not right, then you shouldn't be in the body of Christ. We'll talk about it a little more as we go forward. And so as the Exodus, just say, look, if you get right with the Lord, just come back in fellowship with us. I, you don't have to call me. You don't have to chat. You know what's going on in your life. You know what's wrong in your life. You get that straightened out. If I turn around and I see your happy, smiling face in the seat, I'm going to assume you're right with the Lord. For now, you're going out the door. You get all that fixed, walk right back in if you are ever inclined. Uh, sit down, we'll worship together, you know, and, and carry on. Listen, the few people that I've had to, you know, escort out, a few of them have just showed back up. And I mean it. You know, you look over a few months later, and there's a huge, happy, smiling face sitting there. That's a wonderful thing, man. Which tells me I have effectively communicated to each of them that it is about their relationship with the Lord. And, and so to go out and act like, oh, you know, cruel, vindictive, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, there, there's call for this. The peaceableness I have found... There's, it's actually a fairly easy approach. Some people, yeah, you know, what's that old thing, making some people happy and we can't make all people happy all the time, and that whole thing. can't do it. You can't do it. You do what you can. You try, and it isn't about being a man pleaser. I'm talking about you go through the effort and you try to leave, live peaceably, right? Paul, you know, says that. You know, as much as it's up to you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it's up to you, right? Implying there is 50% of this you know, discussion that belongs to them. And, and if they're not, you know, it's not always going to be. It'd be nice if we always could, but not the case. Not the case. So here, you know, you strengthen, you know, and uh, the hands that are hanging down, make straight paths for your feet so that you, I guess I skipped over, didn't I? 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So that's, a big part of uh, 12 that I missed. I apologize for that. John the Baptist calls the people to repentance. And, and the key, and it's actually Jesus' message also, he picks it up, but make straight the way of the Lord. And, and when we've studied through 
the life in John, of in ministry of John, we talk about the fact that uh, there was a practice in the Romans that when a, a certain dignitary, particularly the real hierarchy of Rome, uh, was going to come to a, a, a town, a providence, an area, I mean, it takes months for, for them to get everything orchestrated and all the people. They don't just jump in a chariot and head to a you know, certain location. When the entourage in a official capacity is going to come, there's a tremendous amount involved, and they would charge the locals uh, the, the labor and the cost of rebuilding the roads so the dignitary could come there easily. You know, all the locals have been working their way along that goat path to get into town forever. When the dignitary shows up, they grade, they cut down the mountain, they level in, fill in, built. Romans were very famous for their roads. And they would build a road, make straight the way for the king is the idea of whatever crooked path that had all kinds of, you know, opportunities to trip and stumble and turn your ankle that when when a king comes that's all going to be done away with straight smooth flat easily passed over road all the way to the seat of authority that that's what has to happen wherever the town hall is wherever the you know court is wherever that dignitary is going to come to and set his seat of power and do whatever he's going to do make a proclamation, you know, speak to the people, rule over the court system, take a position of throne there in their community, straight roads in order for him to come and go on. And and that was what John was saying, John the Baptist, and what Jesus took up as the same message of the kingdom of heaven has come. Make straight the way for the king. Get all of the, you know, strengthen what is weak, uh, the feeble knees make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Um, isn't it like supernatural the way that you injure yourself and then injure that same appendage two or three more times within the next day or so, right? You know, you just hyperextend the knee and did it again and you can't twist the ankle and you know roll it on the stairs you know 10 minutes later sure enough it's amazing how when there is a weakness when there is an injury how prone we are to re-injuring that same thing and this is what's being said here is if you've come to recognize injurious weakness get the things out of the way that have the potential to recreate the same problem you know it doesn't matter if the local bar has the best best beefsteak in town if you struggle with drinking you should not be having lunch there you know there there are just things and people do it you know, they got the best hot wings in town. Yeah, but you shouldn't be in here. <laughs> you know, there are certain things. I, I'm just throwing that out as an example. There's there's lots of other areas. People, You know, certain people we talk to who just love to gossip. And you have determined you're not going to. But you talk to them on the phone. And you, every time you get off, you're regretting the call. Why? Because you both ran your mouths. Avoid. The circumstances avoid the phone call altogether you know you can make this as big and ugly a sin example as you want to or as small and you know acceptable a sin as you want to point is if you recognize the the injurious weakness that which produces sinfulness in your life avoid it get rid of it root it out smooth it out grade it away so so that you have that smooth passage the, the way he uses these physical maladies here you know the hands that hang down the feeble knees you know you could dislocate uh, rather than be healed you've got to pay attention uh, to these things and avoid uh, you know the the injurious negative outcome and then we i jumped ahead and gave the explanation pursue peace with all people and then to couple with that and 
holiness, okay? Holiness, um, you shouldn't uh, elevate that to a place that's too high. And don't get me wrong, right? There's a very stern, very strict, very religious mandate in this idea of holiness, but it doesn't ever come up into the place of arrogance, okay? Uh, holiness is much better thought of as having a dignified, right, um, uh, righteous uh, purpose and use. So, so only, right? You know, you you, you never you never want to see your surgeon uh, digging around in his carburetor with a scalpel and then headed right in to do work on you. You know what I'm saying? That scalpel is holy, right? It's sacred. It has a particular per Please don't dull that up, you know, gouging away on some screw head somewhere, trying to get... Don't That is not meant for that. And so it is with holiness, right? Intended for the worship of your king, our person should not be thrust into sinful lowly behavior this belongs to the lord our physical frame belongs to him our mind our heart our speech our eyes they belong to the lord and to be using them in places that are corrupted and and, and you know filthy and rotten you know i you know worked in many kitchens uh younger years started out washing dishes and you know, there's just a thing about, you know, filthy silverware. Isn't that always pleasant when you, you know, sit down to eat and it's covered with goo? And, you know, somebody wants to say, well, it went through the dishwasher. Yeah, but, you know, I'm sorry. This broccoli and cheese is not part of my menu. So, um, you know, whoever had this last, you know, needs to go back. So you, you get the idea of... We are called to the purpose and the use of our Heavenly Father. You know, ho holiness is not, I'm so much better than you, and I'm so much better than the world around me, and I've got my nose stuck in the air. Please don't touch me, you know, because I'm something special. It's the idea of, I worship the Creator of all things, and my heart and my mind and my life is set on that. And, and it should be if you if you ever were to see me in the sinful worldly filth, the, the contrast would cause you to be shocked with what in the world, it, you know, is Will doing in that setting? That doesn't it, these things don't go together, right? Because I belong to the Lord, and so it should be for every Christian. We need to pursue this peacefulness. We need to be pursuant of holiness without which no one will see the lord right and, and he makes this statement it isn't the idea of so therefore perfect yourself so that you'll be acceptable to god right um this this is much more the idea of you were born again you, okay adam and eve's sinful nature was in each of us and by nature, we're going to do those things. We're, we're, I mean, you can summarize uh, Adam and Eve's sin and every human being's sin after that very simply. Eve allowed herself to, allowed herself to be manipulated into doing what she knew was wrong. Adam, the scripture says, had a very different experience of similar circumstance. He chose what God had created and given him over his relationship with God. And basically you can summarize all of our failures in those categories. And that's how it works. Okay. So, so when we're talking about this idea of uh, holiness, that's our, that's our sinful nature. That's our base nature. It'll it'll have those very simplistic elements in it in very complex, corrupt ways. The character changes 
when we become a child of God. We're, we're a child of Adam or Eve or both. You know, we're, we're, we're human. When we are a child of God, we take on God's nature. And, and our character and our behavior changes. And, and we do and we think and we desire things other than that which comes naturally. You know, I've described many times before, you know, most of us uh, can see our character in our children. If you've got kids, um, you know, as painful as it is sometimes, <laughs> you have to go, yep, that that's my kid right there. You know, it's nice when they're doing something wonderful. And, and, and you can go, yeah, and, and that's even reflective of my skills and my capabilities, and that's kind of cool. You know, I, I've shared with you before, uh, my youngest, Abigail, was little. Little, and somebody had made her extraordinarily mad. Oh, no, wait, it was me. She and I are in a conflict. That's right. She she and I are in a conflict, and she really felt like I had let her down. And I don't think she was five. And she's standing in front of me, and she is telling me off, and she is in, you know, all stuff that I do, you know. She got she got my physical mannerisms, hands, you know, the way that I would just, you know, she's and I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at a little miniature caricature of myself. No denying, you know, that which is mine there in the moment, you know, and I'm very entertained by it, but also I have to keep a stern face because I've got to correct it, whatever. When we are walking with the Lord, it should be that those characteristics do not appear. That which comes by nature. I'm not talking about your parents' relationship. I'm talking about that which extends from, quite frankly, Lucifer and and Adam and Eve and their sinfulness, right? Rebellion against God, choosing to rebel against God. Those sin natures, we should see something very different. You know, somebody see you have an opportunity to sin and, and you know you counteract that and go the opposite direction that's that's more than anything you know what the lord is saying is if you belong to me then i better see my characteristics in you you know someone else's child has characteristics don't belong to me i get to know that parent and i go oh i can see a similarity here right it needs to be that the world, we can see it, our spouses, those that love us, you know, the world around us can see, oh, that that is a godly character. In the situation where, you know, normally people would lose their temper, react in bitterness, be spiteful. We curb that with the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we behave according to a heavenly nature rather than a fleshly nature. So this statement that, you know, without holiness, basically salvation doesn't belong to you, it's the idea of there should be the characteristics of your heavenly father. If they're not there, <clears throat> then remember what was said previously, then are you a legitimate child? Are you a child of God? Claim all you want to. You're a child of God. If if our sin nature is the only thing that's making its presentation, that's what the world sees, then you gotta you gotta question, am I born again? Am I a child of God? He is holy. Therefore, his children will be holy. Right? Because we're children of Adam, you're still also going to see those characteristics. And 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 we can see that too. In an earthly sense, can't we? You know, if I, I'm running a risk either way here, let's do it this way. If dad is really flighty, but mom is like no nonsense, even keeled, and at times you see the flightiness in the child, and at times you see you get, it's because, oh, okay, you know, you're a child of this man and this woman. I can see both of the characteristics. Now, at times, right? You can see the characteristics of Adam or Eve, the sinful nature. But at times, right, and it should be more and more prevalent all the time. There should be an ever-growing, an ever-increasing uh, 
characteristic of our heavenly Father. You know, with without Him, right? I mean, think about it, right? Um, days, months, weeks, years ago, you'd have never been—you wouldn't have been caught dead in a church on Wednesday night at a Bible study. And here we sit, right? The, the characteristic has been changed by the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, somebody cross your path, do your wrong. You know, you'd have fed him a knuckle sandwich in half a second. You know, today, uh, you might even have an angry reaction, but you calm yourself down and think about how can I repair that relationship and what can I do to bless them? How can I win them over, right? That's the characteristic of only your heavenly father. Left, left your sinful nature, it would have all gone wrong. And this is what the author is saying. It, it, you know, this peacefulness, this behavior, a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know, oh, you're making great claims, right? We know people like that, don't we? Unfortunately, in life, who make great claims of Christianity. Talk, 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 talk. And yet you look at their life and all you see is the natural sinful nature. Like you can't look at anything and go, well, there's evidence that they're a Christian. There's, a, you know, other than the talk, Right? And what, what, do we, what do we say all the time, right? Talk is cheap, right? And how, how much do we recognize and know and understand hypocrisy and, and, and how inappropriate that is for a believer to have in their life? It needs to be that the characteristic of our Heavenly Father is seen more and more. Looking carefully, lest any, uh, anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness spring up, uh, springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Wow, I think I could give the microphone to each of us to talk about that verse right there and how we've seen that play out, unfortunately, in the body of Christ. You know, we've, we've seen these things transpire. And, and what, when they have transpired... What we can know, whether we can accurately identify it, what we can know is those who participate in such things have not looked carefully. They have not paid attention. They have let things fester and develop and become that were very inappropriate, and then they manifest themselves and produce terrible things. So we need to be careful, cautious, as the Scripture says elsewhere, you know, circumspect. You know, that idea of, of carefully stepping, carefully looking at how am I behaving? What am I doing? Am I living a way you know, that is, is reflective of my Heavenly Father? Falling short of the grace of God. Now, that, that's an interesting concept. Because some people view grace as like just the get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, it's just a free pass. And you just got a giant, limitless stack of them. And when you mess up, you just go, oh, the grace of God, you know, and pull out the card and throw it at whatever situation, you know. Next situation arises, you know, grace of God. And you just throw it at the situation. That's, listen, what this is saying, what the, what the Scripture teaches about grace is that the grace of God frees you from these things. You know, what, what does it mean? Let's go to the grossest of behavior, right? I mean, you know, really selfish, sinful, wicked, uh, you know, destructive sin. And you, and you go, well, how, how's that person ever going to be free of that and not do those things anymore? By the grace of God. God is going to not give them a pass to do those things, right? The grace of God is going to give them the strength to not do those things. Several times through Hebrews, we've talked about this abuse of liberty. You know, people talk about liberty like freedom to go do these things. Hey, what are you, hey brother, I thought you're a Christian. Why are you doing that? Why are you participating in that? You know, oh, Christ has given me liberty. Um, nope, no, no, not to do that. You know, you were enslaved to that, right? Liberation is the root word we're looking for here. 
right? Christ came to the prison cell of your sin that you were in, and he liberated you from that. He unlocked that and opened the door and set you free. You've been delivered out of it by the grace of God, right? You know, yeah, you're a hundred miles down the road in your walk with the Lord so many years later and, you know, opportunity blindsides you and you mess up, right? The grace of God covers that moment too, okay? But it isn't, well, oh, well, the grace of God, I'll just continue to wallow around in this. You know, that, that whole thing. Jesus compares pigs and sheep spiritually. You know, the pig, his skin needs to be covered in filth. That's why they roll around in the mud, right? That, 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 that skin easily gets burned. And so they are protecting themselves. From all kinds of things, by rolling in the dirt and the muck, and the, it's 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 good and right for the pig. Now, look, sheep will get in the mud also, and they absolutely hate it, and they always do it by accident. Right? Sheep are super dumb, and they they have been in mud before in their lives, and they approach mud. The next time, and they forget all about what mud looked like previously, and they just go right into it. And when their wool is heavy, it can kill them. They get bogged down in it, and they can't get themselves out of it. Does that sound or feel familiar? Right? You didn't intend to, but because you're a knucklehead, you walked straight into it. And now that you're in it, oh, you wish you could get out, but you're all bound up in it. You consider, right, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. Right? The, the rod commonly was used to pull the sheep out of those situations. Right? Shepherd doesn't have to get down in the mud, can just hook a hold and pull, help the thing walk itself out. And then you got to clean all the wool off because the mud's just going to stay in it. Some animals by nature, need to be in the mud because it's their nature and it proves who they are. So other animals get in the sinfulness, the muck, and it isn't their nature and they want to get out and they need help and deliverance from it. This, this whole thing of what we need to experience in the grace of God. We don't want to fall short of the grace of God. We don't want to just slap the stamp on it. Yeah, I'm down here in the filth and the mire, you know, because the grace of God covers it. Well, that's not what the grace of God is for. The grace of God is to deliver you out of it. And, and so, so the misrepresentation of grace can cause you to miss the work of grace and what it's supposed to be doing in our lives. The grace of God delivers us out of those things it does it covers those things but it delivers us out of those things lest there be any fornicator do you see do you see this do you understand listen right we went from the discussion of the grace right into blatant discussion of sinful filthiness and he's saying look if you're abusive of the grace if you're missing the grace then boom this is where you could end up this is where you could be you know, and it's one of many. He, he's going to talk about a specific situation, but we should be able to extrapolate from this how it applies to a lot of other things, right? So, so move, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now, before we move on, right, <clears throat> the fornicating and profane life, the, uh, you, you know, inside the, uh, the idea of being profane is the idea of blasphemy. So, so you know, to say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but I live in this filthy sinfulness. The profane, the profanity of it. 
is the the inconsistency of it uh, you know the fornicator that's any sex outside marriage between one man and one woman and man has our culture gotten confused about this the church culture is deranged on this subject i'm not even going to go into all the particulars of the way they abuse that you know sexual experience designed by god meant to fulfill marriage and provide you know one of the greatest treasures of experience known to the human race it's god's gift to a married couple think about all the gifts that people get right you get a gravy boat you know just all the different silly things some very useful right Sometimes you get gifts that like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe, you know, on a wedding day, this is what you provided. I can't even believe, you know, a trip to Hawaii. Wow. You know, I don't know. I'm just, I've seen some pretty spectacular stuff come to newly married couples. God's gift, the intimacy of marriage. Wow. Right. And, and the church doesn't dwell on that enough. Right. So you got a trip to Hawaii. And then, you know, you're about to leave the church and like, where did that envelope go? Gosh, oh no. And the big search and oh, the heartbreak. And eventual have to like literally give up and call people and apologize. And the gift is gone and I don't know where it went. And then you find out somebody stole it and used it for themselves. Sex before marriage is theft of the gift. That belongs to a married couple. Anybody else has taken a portion of God's gift. Right? Diminishes the gift. And some of us, unfortunately, have to testify about how much we've been robbed. God's gift. The culture, the culture does whatever the culture does, right? We need to reteach the church about purity and how valuable it is and what it offers the church. You know, listen, I've done, I've gone to great lengths to protect the purity of my three daughters. And some of it was filled with anger and aggression along the way to make sure. And I had the unfortunate case of having a young woman come into our daughter's lives who thought that I was doing them harm by sheltering them. And she she wants to introduce my daughters to these things. Yeah, we had quite a confrontation. We really did. Didn't go well. You know, because she's been so corrupted by the things of the world. And it's so normal to her that she thinks somehow my daughters are missing something. No, I, I'm protecting one of the greatest treasures they're ever going to experience in their lives. Get out of my vault. This safe that I have kept locked is my responsibility. And the church needs to reinstitute that mindset, right? This is a great treasure, and it is something that needs to be protected and watched over and delivered to those people on their wedding day. Here, here, here is your great gift from God, our Heavenly Father. Now, now you can participate in this and experience it for all your own personal joys. That's so far from what the world has in mind right what's the world have in mind well just turn the television off and see the filth and see the militant movement of the homosexual community and understand how we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah destroying what the Lord has created lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau Esau was sleeping around with all the girls of Canaan it's literally what he's doing. 
his his father in particular wanted him to find someone from their family lineage and he was off just hitting all the bars you know what do they say hook it up literally this is this is when the scripture tells us that he despised the birthright it's specifically talking about the fact that he had not only a disregard but a hatred for the promise that a Messiah was going to come through the nation of Israel. He hated it. Didn't care. Big deal. Out running around, impregnating, possibly impregnating, running the risk of impregnating other nations with the seed of Abraham. Did not care. Profane, right? As I describe it to you, I'm watching your face color change. You have the proper blush. You have the proper embarrassment, right? Esau did not. There's an old statement regarding blushing that to blush is a sure sign of virtue, that you still have a degree of integrity in your heart regarding these subjects. Esau did not. He, he was just flagrantly disregarding the protection of the family lineage and the birthright and ultimately that expression of the coming of the Messiah. He, he, he sold his birthright, right? Savior of the world's going to come through our family. Big deal. Do you have any soup? Big deal. Really just looking for a pot of porridged meat. I'm sick of this whole family birthright thing. Sold his birthright for a morsel of food who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit. Now let's get the, the uh, Greek language right here. Afterward, the sorrow that's going to be described, afterward was over right the inheritance. Right? He wants the inheritance. When he realizes Jacob got the inheritance, he's angry about the inheritance. He wants the blessing of his father. Not land, goods, all that stuff. He needs his father to prophetically, right? Yeah, land and goods and stuff. He needs his father to prophetically pronounce blessing upon him. He wants birthright in this. You know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Notice this. Look at the careful wording here. For he found no place for repentance. When it says, though he sought it diligently with tears, it's not talking about the repentance. Right? The Greek language puts the comma in there, which makes the subject of his desire for seeking back to the inheritance, right? He couldn't repent. Sorrow so often is described as being repentance. Oh, they're brokenhearted. Oh, they're crying. Oh, they're making all kinds of statements, admissions even. I know it was wrong. I know. No, repentance is turning around. And going the opposite direction. Doing 180 degrees different from what you were doing previously. This man's, this man's heart is unchanged. He continues on in the same behaviors. He does not change his behavior for one second. Not even for one second. He continues to behave the same way. He expresses a tremendous amount of regret. Right? He's, he's filled with all kinds of regret. Let's see if I can find um, this verse here. 2 Corinthians 7, I believe it's 10. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, 
but the sorrow of the world produces death. Right? Peter was intensely filled with regret that led to repentance. The godly sorrow produced in him a changed behavior, right? Deny the Christ. Embrace the Christ. Jump out of the boat and swim to the Christ, right? Ask for forgiveness of the Christ. Receive from Jesus the mandate. Do you love me? Feed my sheep, right? He goes back. What does Judas do? Hangs himself. Filled with regret, he destroys himself. He does what so many people do. He does it instantly. Many people of the world do it in slow motion. What I mean by that is you watch their life and it's a slow motion suicide. They're, they're filled with regret and they're just incrementally destroying themselves with alcohol, with drugs, with fornication, with whatever sin. They don't change. They don't change. Godly sorrow, right? Both of these are filled with sorrow. Godly sorrow produces a total change in behavior. They go the opposite direction with their behavior. You know, you look at one person, I, I've sat with many and I, I've been confused. I don't know. I don't know what this sorrow is. There's a tremendous amount of sorrow being expressed here. And then you watch their lives. Are, are they doing it? No, no, no. Look, they're doing the same thing they've always done. They're on the same path. Esau's expression of sorrow was not, not, over the repentance. Oh, I wish I could repent. I've literally had men say that to me. I wish God would grant me repentance. He has granted you repentance. <laughs> he has given it to you on a silver platter, man. Grab a hold. Turn around. Go the opposite direction. You're blaming it on God at that point. I'm unchanged. I'm doing the same thing I have always done, and it's God's fault. If he would just, if he would just what? Smack you in the head with a rubber mallet? I don't, what, what are you saying? Right? God, listen, it may sound cliche to you, but God is a gentleman. Right? He, he is never going to step up to you and put a gun in your face and say, you will love me right now, you know. He gives you every opportunity in the world and you have to choose him. I've given that illustration out countless times. If you're stranded on a desert island with the most beautiful person in the world and after some period of time being alone, they come to you and say, I've fallen in love with you. And you do your little ceremony and have a wedding and you're now a couple, you're never going to be able to trust that. You're only going to know if that's real when the rescue boat shows up. Because you're the only item on the menu. Until there's another choice, you can't trust that. And so it is with God. You say, I love God, but you choose everything else in the world? Then do you actually love God? That's the question. Esau was that man. Oh, I want the blessing. Right? He had seen how this works, especially in this family. You know? The patriarch pronounces the blessing upon the child, and wow, do they prosper. <laughs> oh, and he wants that. But he doesn't want the inheritance that is the actual birthright of Abraham's lineage. He doesn't want anything to do with the coming of the Messiah. He doesn't want anything to do with holiness. He doesn't want anything to do with purity at all. Right? There's something very encouraging with this. Right? Because if you look at the like of Jacob, you can be left going, well, then what's that all about? Look at this snake in the grass. Look at how this guy behaves. Well, Please don't raise your hand, but, uh, you know, just look within yourself. Do you behave better than Joseph? I don't, you know, Jacob, I don't think so. 
I think Jacob is tangled up in every one of our hearts by nature, without Christ. And that's actually a really cool thing because Christ will accept us even though we are sinful, right? Because the one difference between Jacob and Esau is Jacob wanted the birthright of Abraham's lineage. He wanted the promises that were to come through the family. He desired to see those things fulfilled. As messed up a dude as he was, as you flip through those pages and read, he was a man who desired the Lord. Esau was not. Esau was not. This should not be within the church. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. These characteristics should not be our characteristics. You know, we as a people need to have and behave very differently than this. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have to just leave off right there. So I'll just read that verse again. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, the inheritance, diligently with tears. You know, you, you can be filled with sorrow and desire the things of the Lord, but repentance has to be central to that. If that's not the, the core center of what you're doing, the, the, the physical turnaround of behavior. Listen, I know a lot of people who, who will say things like, you know, I, I'm just not feeling it. Yeah, no, that's actually the point. <laughs> that's actually the point. That's when it's the greatest degree of obedience. That's what it's most honorable. When you have strong desires the other direction, and you're saying, I will not. I'm going to force myself around. I'm going to do what is right. I, I am not going to pursue the sinful desires that are in my heart. That's what it's most pleasing to the Lord. That's, that's what it's the greatest fulfillment in our relationship with him. When there are things pulling us in the opposite direction, and we take the determination to dig in our heels and go the proper direction. Do we all understand that? I'm not saying we're all doing it perfectly. I'm just saying, do we all understand the concept? Okay. Praise God. Amen. Well, we'll pick up there next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray? Father God, you are so good to us, and we so do not deserve it. And we are so grateful for it. Bless us, Lord, as we spend time together this evening. Help us to minister to one another, Lord, that uh, your, your love would be seen in us and through us, that our care for one another would be reflective of you. Lord, we, we want to see your kingdom come and your will being done in our lives. Lord, help us. Uh, as we prepare uh, for this uh, benefit for the Mooney family, help us to be motivated and organized and uh, bless those circumstances that we we could Lord, uh, relieve some of the strain of, of this tragedy that has uh, occurred to them. Minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.